Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Luke twenty four thirty five. Every youth confirmand, by the time that they've finished their catechism classes and period of instruction upon God's holy word and the small catechism, knows the answer to this question. How does Jesus come to me? At some point or another, and repeatedly throughout the classes, I will draw a very simple image on a marker board. I draw a cross on the top of the board, and then I draw a little stick figure of a man, or a young child, or an adult, depending on who I am teaching, on the bottom of the board. And I draw an arrow from the cross going to the person, because this is always the direction of grace from God to man. If a pastor ever draws the arrow the opposite way, run out of the room screaming. God comes all the way to man. That's grace. The forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, all heavenly blessings that were accomplished on that cross by Jesus's death, given to us poor miserable sinners, So I circle that cross repeatedly. That is where our faith is fixed. The blood of Jesus poured out on his blessed cross, the perfect sacrifice that atoned for the sins of the whole world. Your sins. Every man, woman, and child. Forgiven. And given the promise of everlasting life right there in Christ crucified. But how does that forgiveness come to me? And I circle the line with the arrow. How do all those eternal blessings come to you? And every man knows it by the time they're done with their classes. And every Lutheran believes it. And the church has confessed it for over 2,000 years. That Jesus comes to me all by his grace, through faith, in his word, and in his sacraments. The word and the sacraments. We call them God's means of grace, or the ways, the arrow, the means by which Jesus comes to personally deliver to you his grace just as he does for these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He gives them his word and his sacrament. And so he has continued to give himself to his church up and down the centuries. How does Jesus come to me? How do I know the forgiveness one on that cross is personally delivered to me? God's word and God's sacraments, the mysteries of the faith. First, let's consider how Jesus comes to us in his word. He says to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, O foolish ones and slow of heart 
to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that this Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scriptures are all about Jesus, and they are God's means of delivering to us Christ himself. An early church father once said, Christ is the scarlet thread that runs throughout all the scriptures. You cut any piece of the word of God, and it will bleed Christ. As St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. And 1 Peter 1 declares, Concerning salvation, all the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And also the letter to the Hebrews begins in this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God comes to you through his word to give you Jesus, and he is yours by God's grace alone through faith alone. The devil does not want you to believe that the scriptures are all about the Christ, or that Christ is truly and freely given to you in these words by faith. Our ancient foe desires nothing more than to overthrow the Lord Jesus from every chapter and verse from the Bible. He does not want you to believe that every command, every jot and tittle of the law, every promise of God find their fulfillment in him, their yes in him alone. And so he, dis he seeks to distract us from God's holy word. Just like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we become foolish and blindsided by our own self-interests in our daily walk. Our hopes are dashed. We do not see Jesus as the center of God's word. Instead, we see ourselves. We begin to believe and live as if the scriptures are all about me. My hopes, my dreams, my life, my personal levels of happiness. If any pastor tells you that the scriptures are all about you and all about what you must do to earn your salvation, run out of the room screaming and cling to God's word. As Jesus said to them, O foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe that the prophets have spoken about me. The scriptures 
are all about Christ. He interpreted the scriptures concerning himself. And so you too must get out of the Lord's way. You're not the center of the scriptures. Jesus is. Therefore, do not lean on your own understanding. The Lord Jesus will certainly walk with you, miles and miles with you. But if all you see is yourself in the scriptures and your own plans in them and your own hopes in them, if all you see is you, 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 then your eyes will be kept from recognizing him of whom the scriptures are all about. And you'll never rest in the gushing waters of his everlasting grace, for the scriptures are opened when we hear of God's grace given freely to us in Christ. Your sins forgiven in Christ, the dead raised and given new life in Christ, all because of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do when he comes again. And so the Lord Jesus, who desires to come to you personally each and every day and deliver to you the fruits of his cross and empty tomb, he will surely keep coming to you in his word. It is his means of grace to give you himself, his cross, his resurrection, his death, his life, personally to you so that your life is hidden in Christ. And lastly, God comes to you through his sacraments, his mysteries, as Jesus shows us when with the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. For we hear these very familiar action verbs, the same action verbs we hear repeatedly. He took, he blessed. He broke, he gave. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized who was with them all along. Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures, they say? They told all the disciples what had happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The sacraments are all about Jesus, and they are God's means of delivering to you Christ himself. An early church father once said, the Eucharist, one of the sacraments, is the medicine of immortality. For this means of grace, Christ's true body and blood gives to us precisely what we need for immortality, the forgiveness of our sins. As Luther reminds us, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. For this forgiveness of your sins, attached to the bread and the wine in the Eucharist, is promised in the very words of our Savior, take and eat, this is my body, given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As Jesus says in John chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. 
And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. As St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ and the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? You see, all the blessings of that cross, the forgiveness of sins that were accomplished truly, truly by the shedding of Christ's perfect blood for you, how does it come personally to me? Truly, truly, his blood that atoned for your sins is given to you in the cup. And his flesh that was broken for you is given to you in the breaking of the bread. What a great comfort these words are from our Lord. Lutherans, along with the Christian church up and down the centuries, do not believe that Jesus is merely talking symbolically here when he institutes the Lord's Supper. We take him at his word. We believe his word by faith. It is just what he says it is. This is my body. This is my blood. We reject human reason that tells us that his words just cannot be so. We believe by faith. For everything Christ says and everything Christ does must be received by faith alone. And thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit has stirred our hearts to believe him and his word in his own testament when he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Any pastor who tells you that the Eucharist is not Christ's true body and true blood, as our dear Lord says himself, you should run out of the room screaming and cling to Christ's words alone. For they change the word is into symbolizes to serve their rational way of thinking. And their human reason blinds them from the Lord's word. The Christian must not allow God's word to be twisted, even one little word like is. Think of how much the Christian faith would be changed if is is changed to symbolizes elsewhere in God's word. Mary is a virgin, changed to Mary Mary symbolizes a virgin. What if Christ is the radiance and glory of God? Christ is true God, was instead taught Christ symbolizes the radiance of God. He's not true God, but he merely represents God. He's not true man. He symbolizes man. What if Christ is risen was changed to Christ represents resurrection, but he is not actually truly risen, for that would be impossible. If is was stripped of its force and power throughout the scriptures, we would be left with a Jesus who was not born miraculously, who is not God, and who would still be dead. But thanks be to God, is means is. 
He is risen from the dead. He is true God and true man. He is walking on top of the water. He is giving the blind men sight. He is forgiving sins. And when we receive the Eucharist, the wine is his blood and the bread is his body. For if Christians believe Christ is God and capable of being born of a virgin and walking on top of water and rising from the dead, why could he not also give us his true body and blood to you just as he says he does? Is God not powerful enough to do that? Is he bound by human limitations, our time or space or our sensibilities? May you, dear saints at Trinity, believe with childlike faith Christ's clear words concerning his mysteries, the sacraments, which he has given to his church. For this is the very way he came to be with his twelve disciples, the way he makes himself known to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus in the breaking of the bread, and the very means by which he continues to deliver his grace to his bride, the church, today. To you, personally, just as he is true God, really, actually, fully God, so the bread we break is his true body, really, actually, fully him, the living bread of heaven. What a comfort for our soul. Satan desires to remove the blessings of the Eucharist away from you, just as he does the word. He certainly is having a heyday that Christians throughout the entire globe are finding it very difficult to receive this heavenly gift right now. But the devil can get behind us, for you have God's clear word. And we believe by faith that our Lord Jesus Christ, true God and true man, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and died and was buried, he is risen from the dead. And this same Jesus is here with us in his word, truly, truly, and in his sacraments. Amen and amen. For God is everywhere. This is certainly true. God is not bound by us. But God does bind himself to specific places for our benefit. He comes in the flesh and walks among his people in Jesus. He walks on the road to Emmaus and joins in on conversation with his two disciples. Jesus comes to you in real tangible and physical ways to break into your world and to give you all the blessings of his cross. These are the specific places, the means of grace where Jesus has promised to be in his word and in his sacraments. Why would anyone run anywhere else if this is where our Lord Jesus has promised to be found? Why would we go anywhere Toss all human works aside. Do not believe in them, but rather remember your baptism, cling to God's precious word, and come to his table and taste and see that the Lord is good. 
for this is where God has promised to be for your soul's benefit, personally, truly, for you. Now, why do Lutherans believe all of that? How can eating and drinking give to us such great things? As we have learned it from the small catechism, it's certainly not the eating and the drinking that gives such great things, but the words of our Lord here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. For whoever believes these words has exactly what they promise, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.